0: Welcome to another episode of Not So Jump Reminder. I am Dr. Christina, a board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doc. I'm Dr. Vicki, a board-certified neonatal intensivist. We are friends and pediatricians who survived our training to become skilled but ultimately salty physicians. And we're excited to share with you our evidence-based take on important pediatric topics. This episode is a companion episode that will be a practical look at the world of newborn monitors. So we will be covering the controversy and the recent AAP guidelines regarding the use of monitors at home. Parents of newborns have a lot to be afraid of, a lot to be nervous about, because you're handed this pristine baby. And if it's your first, if it's your seventh, I think everyone has a little bit of anxiety. And Also, we just probably scared you talking about how if your baby has a fever, they are potentially hiding some very ominous infection inside. So why not get more information? Why not take advantage of technology? And this is where these newborn monitors come into play. These monitoring
1: devices specifically speak to the problem of SIDs which will be its own episode. There's a lot to talk about here and it's kind of a heavy subject, but we did want to introduce these monitoring devices on their own because there's such a growth in this consumer category. There is a bit of an alphabet soup at play here when we start talking about SIDS, when we start talking about sudden unexplained infant death. Do you want to define some of those for our
0: listeners? A lot of people are probably familiar with SIDS from a terminology standpoint, and then sudden infant death, or S-U-I-D, is relatively newer on the scene. Essentially, sudden unexpected infant death is an unexpected death, whether explained or unexplained, if your child is less than one year old of age when they die. There is one subcategory, which is sleep-related deaths. And then there is this whole other category, which is sudden infant death syndrome. And this is a death of a less than one-year-old that cannot be explained even after full investigation that includes a complete autopsy examination of the death scene, and review of the clinical history. So these are babies that we just don't understand why it happens. And it's not because we're not trying very hard. We are desperately trying because this is a worst case scenario. In the United States, the CDC has actually showed that this happens in about 3,400 families annually. It's also really confusing because we don't quite understand why it happens. It's still just this horrible black box. So because
1: of those known sleep-related deaths, a lot of the work in this area has focused on reducing those without moving the needle much on SIDS itself, as pediatricians or recommendations focus on those sleep things. And outside of pediatricians, what comes in next are these direct-to-consumer companies. And these are clever companies. They've sensed this need in the market. The need is 3,400 deaths that we know of and so many family members suffering, and they speak directly and market directly to these frightened and suffering families. And although the medical community can't solve this problem, they offer a premise that they can. They're pretty savvy in how they word this. What they do is they position themselves as consumer wellness devices, wellness, a rapidly emerging space, wellness, self-care, it just keeps blowing up. And these are use specific language direct to consumer heart rate and pulse oximetry monitoring devices including wearable monitors that are sold as consumer wellness devices which is defined by the FDA as one intended for maintaining or encouraging a healthy lifestyle but, but is unrelated to the diagnosis cure mitigation prevention or treatment of disease or condition so you know, you want these babies to live a healthy lifestyle. And additionally, it's that language that you appropriately emphasized. It is unrelated to the diagnosis, cure, mitigation, yikes, even mitigation, prevention, or treatment of a disease or condition. So it's like hard to walk back that claim any farther
0: other than it encourages a healthy lifestyle. By including that last bit of language, it means that they get to circumvent all of the control that the FDA potentially would have. There's a very rigid process, as you can imagine, when it comes to actual medical devices. So somebody who has to have a heart rate monitor because of an underlying heart condition that they very much need to know, their cardiologist needs to know. These are very different devices than these monitoring systems that you can buy off the internet. So since they don't have the same regulatory requirements, they can imply that they are used to help give information to prevent sleep-related deaths, but they specifically cannot claim that. The one thing that they do claim that is potentially harmful is the idea behind more information, and I would say this goes back to why a lot of adults track their own information, is more information is power. The idea being that these monitoring devices will give parents peace of mind because they at least know that their child's heart rate is fine, their child's oxygen saturation is fine, but there is no data to really truly support whether these claims are true. And they are also, I think, fear-mongering, for lack of a better word. They're creating fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of self-doubt in parents in a time in which parents are very vulnerable because Nobody wants to be told that you're not doing everything possible to keep your infant safe. So why wouldn't you be getting another tool that could potentially be keeping your child safe? And the, the answer is because we can't even say that the two premises that these home monitors are based on are actually useful. And I think it's helpful for us to actually go through what the two different claims are, and we can separate them out to make it a little bit easier to understand.
1: The two premises, I would say, are that the device is providing you with information, and that's information as distinct from noise and nonsense, and that you can use this information to do something. And those, I think, are two separate concepts, because sometimes in medicine, we have information about something, but then it doesn't change our practice. So our trend is usually not to bother getting things that won't inform a change in what we do. Just vague peace of mind is usually not good enough in medical practice. And I'd argue you're not getting a ton of peace of mind from these either. So these devices are typically, like you said, available with your own money, a pretty penny typically, and they're often these sock-like sensors. How does that work?
0: It will look a little familiar to you if you delivered your child and they had their oxygen monitored at all. In the hospital, we use a sticker that detects oxygen saturation. The way that this works is it's using the difference in light wavelength as it passes close to an artery that has blood flow. Does some special math in the background. We love math always. Love math. Especially when it's related to babies. And then it tells you and gives you information about how well saturated hemoglobin, which is the part of your red blood cell that carries the oxygen, is. The goal being high 90s to 100%. Everyone wants to get 100%. And so that is the premise that they are mimicking with this sock. Understandably, they don't look the same because there has to be a usability when you're using it in the home. And there should even be some information about the usability when you use it in the hospital. I mean, you've tried to put these on a baby right when they're brand new and fresh, and I can't say it's the easiest to, to use at all, even in somebody who does this all day, every day.
1: I could not complain more about this. Babies have some real design flaws, and one of them is when they come into the world, they are covered in vernix, or what we colloquially, probably unprofessionally refer to as cheese. Shame on that analogy. Yeah, which has a lot of good medical benefits. However, it also makes them a real pain in the neck to stick anything onto. So usually sacrifice two or three stickers when you're trying to get it. And it's always the kids you want the most information on. Even when you do get it on cheesy or not cheesy, perhaps later in their career as a baby, it's still not always easy to get a very accurate measurement. A lot of time, these infants are squirmy. A lot of time, you don't get a great signal from their artery. It can be a smaller blood vessel that's harder to put this sensor on top of. And you have a tremendous amount of signal artifact. I can't tell you how many times on rounds I've walked by and seen some kind of absolutely crazy signal. And then you realize, oh, it's just the sat probe is laying in the bed. The child is having a bath right next to it. Looking pink, delicious, totally fine. Having a spa day, however, the SAP probe you know is able to read some kind of a sensor on the bed when there is not a human, in fact, in that bed. So that tells you how finicky these devices are. They're really an art in addition to a science and placing them and then in interpreting them. And so often as a parent, you'll see this in the hospital when you hear the monitors ding away and nobody's panicked, nobody's running down the hall. And that's because even when you do get a signal and even when it looks reasonable, you still have to figure out how to interpret that signal. And that is just the hospital grade monitors, right? I cannot imagine how much less precise this situation gets for home monitoring.
0: We have the imperfect technology that has gone through the rigorous FDA approval to make it into the hospital. Now we have a direct-to-consumer monitoring device that has not been through the rigorous regulatory mechanisms. And at home, accuracy is a really big concern because are you getting the information that you want to be getting? The primary information that we're looking for is heart rate and oxygen saturation. And There have been some studies that showed a little bit of promise. In 2021, there was a study where they were using a reference pulse oximeter or the band that we use in the hospital and then compared it to one of the major manufacturers of these sock devices. They looked at 50 babies, which is a small study. Only 30 of them were full term or fully cooked. And then 20 of them were preterm, but very, very minimally preterm. So they looked at this information from 60 minutes in the NICU or the neonatal ICU for the preterm kids and then 20 minutes in the nursery and saw what the difference between the two devices were. And initially, it actually didn't look that bad, but we've pointed out a couple of major flaws here in the study. One, the patient population is tiny. It's 50 babies. That's very, very small. And then we're also considering a very narrow window of time. 20 minutes in the nursery could be representative of 20 minutes of peaceful sleeping in which the baby is not moving or doing anything particularly interesting, as opposed to a full overnight in which there are multiple sleep wakes, there's multiple diaper changes, feeding, there's feeding, there's all sorts of things. So this particular study did not speak well to what the monitoring device would do in the home environment.
1: I agree. So that is not a super long window of observation and may not be reflective of real life. And additionally, all it proves is that it's similar to a different monitoring device that also isn't perfect. So I don't know that it tells you very much, just that there's some concordance. There's another study that was similar but had the opposite outcome. They looked and they saw two different SOC monitoring brands. They looked at about 30 patients, so again, a tiny population. They looked at these monitors, compared them, and said that one monitor was able to detect low oxygen but performed inconsistently and that the second SOC monitor never detected low oxygen and also displayed falsely low heart rates. So if you're looking for a panic attack, it will provide you one. That does not, to me feel like the kind of robust instrument you want reassuring your infant's safety.
0: This is a nice segue into the second part of this discussion because we're talking about whether or not the information that you're getting or the information that's being provided by these monitoring devices is accurate the natural next step here is, is the information actually useful? And I think that is where there is even less optimism. There's no evidence that the information that is being provided is helpful. And what we are very good at creating with this type of monitoring device is a lot of fatigue, a lot of alarm fatigue. This is a very real problem in the hospital with very accurate devices if it's an inaccurate device that you don't know what is real, what is not real, you're already sleep deprived and barely able to make it through the day, we're creating a situation that's making that worse. It's hard to pay attention
1: if every time it's a false alarm. There was a study of about 50,000. So big number. Big number. So you can get excited of 47,495. So almost 50,000 newborns babies that wore this smart sock, they were able to get data from about 30,000 patients, a so some there. And what they reported was that 94% of parents got better quality of sleep with the goal of using these smart socks as peace of mind. That wasn't a study designed to detect it, but peace of mind. So you're telling me that there's fatigue, that you're telling me that there's alarm fatigue, but 94% of 30,000 patients, which is nothing to sneeze at, reported that they got peace of mind. What's up with that?
0: It's interesting because this is a good part for us to point out that there is bias involved in any number of studies. And you have to be very cautious when you're interpreting these studies because this was actually written by employees of the particular company that they were testing from. This is also a type of qualitative study in which they're using survey information from parents, but it is not actually being Shown whether or not their babies had low oxygen saturation, whether or not their babies were having those low heart rates. It was just exploring ownership and what overall goals for the parents were when they purchased a product like this. So while they might be saying, look, more than 90% of parents are super pleased with our product. This is a self-selecting population. These are 30,000 parents who have already ponied up a good amount of money, hoping and believing that they're going to get better quality sleep and then are being asked specifically about their sleep and the quality of it. So it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think just speaks to the fact that you need to be really cautious about where you're getting your medical information and whether or not the data has any bias, implicit or otherwise. This is pretty clear-cut conflict of interest, I would say, when it's funded directly by the company itself. And they're actually hot off the presses. In June of 2022, the AAP, or the American Academy of Pediatrics, came out with a policy statement seven years after the last policy statement, where they are reaffirming their initial recommendation that they do not endorse the use of home cardiorespiratory monitors as a strategy to reduce SIDS. So very specifically, they come out and say, please do not use. And this was labeled an A-level recommendation. And before we go any further, understanding what an A-level recommendation is, step one. So do you want to define that A-level
1: A-level is not based on a feeling. A-level is the best we can do. There's no A-plus level. A-level is acknowledging that evidence can be quite flawed. A-level is the best it gets. So this is a recommendation that's on the basis of consistent, good quality, and patient-oriented evidence. So even if you got very consistent results of just mice in a lab, that won't lead to a great A-level recommendation. That's an animal study. This is something that's been in the real world and has a lot of information about it. We don't get more proud of ourselves and more serious about our message than an A-level recommendation. So much of what we do every day in practice doesn't meet this level. So they feel strongly about this. The A.P.
0: really means it. Yeah, there's a lot of padding, padding on their backs about the level of recommendation that is coming out here. And I do think that it's important to directly quote this from the policy statement from the 2022, hot off the press, quote, do not use home cardiorespiratory monitors as a strategy to reduce the risk of SIDS. Use of cardiorespiratory monitors has not been documented to decrease the incidence of SIDS, end quote. And this in general will cover the bulk of most people's infants. It's not all infants though because you certainly see a population of babies that can actually benefit from home monitoring. But generally speaking, these are not babies that are going home with a sock monitor, correct?
1: No, usually there's a long and extensive process for infants that need to go home with monitoring. I think of two categories of infants that go home with monitoring. It's preterm or formerly preterm infants whose brains are learning to make sure that they're staying awake all the time, so apnea of prematurity has the word prematurity in it, so not an apnea of being term, that's important to think about. And also infants who have cardiac disease, these infants often need monitoring as a way of measuring the progress of their condition or vulnerability to different environmental events and is a complicated enough endeavor that goes far beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But what's important to remember, not your garden variety baby. Your garden variety healthy baby does not fall into this umbrella of special monitoring. And the kids that do, you go through a whole process with your care coordinator with your social worker to make sure that they get the same hospital grade or home grade, but not direct to consumer stuff, stuff that's been well tested by the same companies that provide specifically well tested devices. That's what they go home with.
0: And a lot of education. I think these are not families that are being sent out into the wild to be making medical choices for their unique babies that might be premature might have problems with their heart. There's a lot of education involved here. There's a lot of checking in with home nursing and all sorts of different things. So even if you are in that special category, again, it's not going to be one of these sock monitors that you get. The AAP went one step further after they said verboten, nope do not use. They also talk a little bit about the safety side of things here because there is a very specific concern that I would say the AAP shares with most pediatricians about the use of home monitoring. And we talked about it a little bit when we were terrorizing that 130,000 patient study. Yeah. It's that this should
1: not replace an insane adherence to safe sleep practices. It may be that safe sleep practices won't capture everybody in the population. We admit that. There's been a lot of criticism in the field that safe sleep will reduce safe sleep-related demises, but not ones that may be related to something else that we haven't discovered yet. Fair enough. But it should not make you less vigilant about safe sleep since everybody is at risk when safe sleep practices aren't being followed. And there's a serious concern because people feel that their children are being adequately monitored, that this will replace what I think should be you know, zealously followed recommendations to be back to sleep in a very spare sleep environment.
0: We use the language of safe sleep very easily. What do you mean specifically when you talk about safe sleep and back to sleep being a big term that came out of the AAP as well? I think one of my colleagues says it best. She says it needs to look like a prison bed.
1: And I think that sums it right up. Probably less fun than a prison bed. I think you get a pillow in a prison bed. Infants should be in their own sleep space. They should not be co-sleeping or sharing a bed. They should be flat on their backs. They need to be wearing maybe one more garment than their parent is to stay warm, but should not be overly swaddled. No fluffy blankets. No wonderful, cozy stuffed animals. Absolutely no pillows or crib bumpers. So they need to be in an extremely spare sleeping environment and they need to be placed there flat on their back. That doesn't mean they need to spend their whole lives flat on their back. They should have tummy time, but to go to sleep, those are the recommendations that have
0: saved the most lives from suffocation related issues. So that's the start. I definitely remember, I think it was in residency, there was a laminated sheet that we would troop in when we talked to new parents where there would be this delicious looking baby nest that had all of the, the plush blankets and a bunch of beautiful stuffies, perhaps family heirlooms. And then there was the baby prison right next door. And you then have to spend about 20 minutes talking about how the baby prison is actually better, which is difficult marketing. Um, it's definitely difficult marketing. It's minimalist. It's minimalist. It's it appeals to my Scandinavian heritage. Lots of clean lines. <laughs> so it's something that we care a lot about, the AAP cares a lot about. And the problem here being that even as we've made some strides related to a lot of these big campaigns like Back to Sleep and promotion of safe sleep overall, it doesn't prevent all episodes of SIDS because, as we have said multiple times before, we just don't understand what is happening. But for the population that it does help, those who clearly die of sleep-related deaths where there is suffocation involved, where there is unfortunately something involved with co sleeping, or a baby being unable to remove something that's obstructing their airway. The thing that is needed is better sleep hygiene, not more monitoring, which is why I think most pediatricians would not recommend the use of home monitoring because they're following that grade A information.
1: Especially in the hot off the press reaffirmed recommendation, we try to save those sleep injury-related patients if we can, and the monitors won't help the other category anyway. That's what I'm taking from this policy. And this isn't to say that this isn't complex. This isn't to say that safe sleep is easy or pleasant. I'm sure the baby's like, yo, why is your bed so much better than mine? Also, I would love to sleep on your boob warm close next to you instead of the baby prison. And it's not to say that this is a culturally sensitive setup. No. It's it's not. It goes against a lot of what many different cultures believe. It's just the one that's resulted in a diminution of sleep and suffocation-related deaths. So for that, it is worth adhering to until we find something that works better that saves more lives.
0: We need those better monitors. Somebody needs to put their big brains to use to create a better system than what we currently have. And it is definitely not these direct-to-consumer models. I baby, fit baby. Fit baby. You heard it here. Surely we can get someone, if we can send certain CEOs to space, we can monitor babies a little bit better. Shall we recap? Yes, let's. Let's sum up this practical episode regarding the use of home cardiopulmonary monitoring for babies with a few not-so-gentle reminders and practical tips.
1: Our first not-so-gentle reminder is hot off the press from the AAP policy in 2022, reaffirming what they said in 2016, which is do not use home cardiorespiratory monitors as a strategy to reduce the risk of SIDS. It won't work. It does not reduce the risk of SIDS.
0: The next not-so-gentle reminder along the same vein is that the AAP very strongly continues to recommend safe sleep practices. These are our next best strategy at keeping your infant safe, so please refer to Back to Sleep and any other campaigns that the AAP has put out. Thank you so much for listening. We would love it if you subscribed and left us a five-star review. We do want this to be helpful to you, so we are eager for your feedback, and you can provide it to us in a number of different ways.
1: Yeah, you can provide that feedback in a number of ways. Please email us at notsogentlereminder@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can DM us on the gram at notsogentlereminder. Slide in there. Tell us about your ideas for partnering with us to create high fidelity baby monitors that work despite cheese. You can call us at 917-426-6908. Leave us a voicemail and tell us what you'd like us to cover, questions you have, products you may want reviewed. Anyways, we can make this better for you. Please see our show notes and links, and you can look at our website at notsogentlereminder.com for episode transcripts.
0: Our next episode will be an additional medical episode, and we will be taking a look at seizures that occur in the context of fever. So please stay tuned, and here comes our disclaimer. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. This podcast does not represent the opinions of our employers. It is purely for education and entertainment. Every child and every family is unique. If you're experiencing a medical emergency, please call 911. If you have specific questions about the care of your child, please be in touch with their doctor.